Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Job. Job is almost at the center of your Bible. If you're in the book of Psalms, just head back toward the beginning a little bit. And uh, I know in English we would think that it would be an E on the end of Job's name, J-O-B-E, but it's just J-O-B. And uh, he was a very interesting man. The best we can understand the timing of the story of Job was before the days of Abraham. Uh, It's probably historically the oldest book uh, in the Bible. Of course, Genesis gives us the story of creation, but uh, uh, we understand the life of Job, and if we can place it, and Job lived in a strange land, we call, uh, the Bible calls it the land of Uz, not to be confused with Oz, all right? Um, it was an actual geographic area. He was a very wealthy man, uh, the Bible tells us, and Job is one of those confusing books. How many of you have actually read through the entire book of Job? Now, that's a good number of hands. If you're following your Bible reading schedule, you will do that. And um, many people have offered all kinds of excuses and tried to understand the book of of Job like uh, as follows that, uh, well... God let Job suffer so he could give him twice as much at the end of the book as he had at the beginning of the book. Uh, He was already the richest man in the entire country where he lived. Uh, That was not God's reasoning. I want to challenge you with that. In fact, word for word, God never explains why Job suffered. In fact, we'll read that uh, in chapter 2, it says, Though thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And so this morning's message and, and the theme of the book of Job, and we certainly will not cover every chapter in the book of Job this morning, but... Uh, We're going to try to cover the story of Job in its entirety. And as I was putting this together, the question that I would like to ask, who is really in control? Who is really in control? Now, you're in church. Uh, This is a Bible Baptist church. So you know the answer to the question before we start. God is, right? But when things are not going right in your life, when you are just a little confused as to the swirling events all around us, we know God is in control. But do we make life choices? based upon that fact, or do we join the vast majority of those that live in this world and just try to do the best we can? Now, I want to challenge you before we start this sermon that 
I'm not preaching about you, all right? Individually. There, there is no... I, I, I can say this with a clear conscience. I have never walked into this pulpit with somebody's name in my outline, all right? So, but it's going to hit a lot of people right between the eyes. Because if you're not going through some deep waters and some difficult times, you will be. And it's not always fun. But life isn't always fun now, is it? And God put this story in the Bible for a reason. And I want us to to look through the events of the book and then go back and see if we can find some things that will help you and I live in these days and times in which God has called us to live. Number one, we know God is in control. He is the sovereign. He is the king. And you will hear me often, if you attend church here, talk negatively about Calvinism. Uh, That is a doctrinal system that believes that God is in so much in control of everything that he has chosen people to get saved as well as chosen people to go to hell forever. That God has ordained every right thing in this world, but he has also ordained every sin in this world. Now, most Calvinists would say, that's not what we believe. But talk to John Calvin. I mean, I don't know how many people I have met over the years that say, I don't believe that. But then they go ahead and do it anyway. Now, we believe God is in control. But we don't believe he is the master scriptwriter, uh, the master puppeteer pulling all the strings. God does not make people sin. Because he is a just God. But sometimes things do not appear to go right. Ever have that happen? And we're not talking about just a simple uh, idea of I don't like the way this thing is working. I'm talking about when the bad guys win. I'm talking about when evil prevails. And some said, well, Job uh, said in the book, we're going to, we receive good from God. Shall we not receive evil? Well, that's not the kind of evil Job was talking about. He was saying God gives us good things. Is, it, is God not going to allow suffering and painful things, bad things, things that we would not like, things that we would uh, wish that somehow could not be, God still allows those things to come into our life. He's still God, amen? Because I want you to look through this book of Job, and if you have some time, you 
you need to read it. It is 42 chapters. Uh, You're not going to sit down this afternoon between services and read through the entire book of Job unless you are uh, quite uh, the, the reader. Uh, uh, way above reading capabilities. I mean, we're talking three or four solid hours of reading. Most of us can't do that. Uh, Oh, we can look at words for three or four hours. Uh, How many of you had homework assignments where you had to read lots of... I mean, you can read lots of pages, but are you really reading them? I challenge you to read the story of Job. Because it's an incredible, incredible story. We know God is in control. But we look at the book of Job and let me tell you, the devil is in control of an awful lot of things in the book of Job, is he not? I mean, just open your Bible here to Job chapter 1 and let's look at verse 12 of chapter 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Job chapter 1, verse 12. And the Lord, this is God speaking as recorded in the scripture. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, how many of you know what happens next? I mean, it is cataclysmic. And and the devil has an incredible sense of timing, does he not? So that the messengers coming to Job to tell him the loss of his goods are right on top one of another. The first one hasn't even ended and the next guy is standing up to tell him, well, you've lost this and the next guy... You lost this, and then the last one comes up and says, Thy sons and thy daughters. And in moments, Job goes from the wealthiest, most respected man of his entire region to the poorest and loneliest man. Of his entire region. I mean, we talk about people going up the ladder and falling back down and all this kind of stuff, but I don't know of any other story that's like Job's story. And we find out that Satan was the one that engineered this whole thing. And here's Job's first response. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down on the ground, upon the ground and wept. Is that what your Bible says? I saw some of your eyes get big. Pastor's changing the Bible. No, that's what we think he should have done, right? And, and let me tell you, Job was weeping. There's no doubt about that sorrow and, and despair expressed in his heart. Look at verse 21. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's incredible, is it not? I, I want to challenge you that Job had the right response here. Job worshipped the Lord. Now, if you attend one of those churches that have these newfangled worship services, this kind of worship in the book of Job wouldn't be, wouldn't be acceptable there. Because this kind of worship says God is still God even when He allows things in my life that I don't like. When He allows tragedy and sorrow and loss. I mean, I don't know how a TBN preacher deals with this because there's no prosperity or uh, 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 great reward in this verse. He's lost everything. And yet the word the Bible uses is the word worship. Now, what is worship if it's not jumping up and down and doing crazy things? Well, let's take a moment here. The word worship means to give honor to, to venerate. The word itself, if you... Just take the word of worship means to fall down or to bow down before. Uh, the way, the best working definition I like to give of the word worship. How many of you have ever tried to lift something very heavy? What happens? You get pushed down. Worship, true Bible worship, is trying to grab a hold of who God is and lift him up. Well, guess what direction you're going? It's too heavy for you to get it very high. But you're going to have to go down. And that's what God wants us to do. When we have a worship service, we want to lift him up. And may I challenge you that it would be an awful small God that you could understand everything that he thinks. That it would be an awful weak God if he depended upon you and I to be able to carry him and to show him to the world in which we live. One of the greatest problems with worship today is we worship a very small God, one that works the way we work, one that is easy for us to understand. And I want to challenge you, if your God is easy for you to understand, it's not the God of the Bible. He's a little bigger than that. If you claim to know all about God, you got the wrong one. Because you can't know all about this God. You can't think like he is. In fact, when we get to the end of this Job, one of the reasons he's going to be rebuked by God was he was trying to think like God and he thought he understood how God thought. 
And God said, you justified yourself that you might be righteous. I don't work that way. You have to justify me. Because God is the only one that's just. Amen? But I want to ask you again, let's go back to our main theme. Who's in control? When Job lost everything, who was in control? Well, God was in control, but the devil caused the loss of everything, didn't he? And Job just worshipped God. But let's go down to chapter 2 and verse 6. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Now Satan had control of Job's health. I'll tell you what, there are very few things that will get you down quicker than serious health issues. Many of you have heard of the famous Baptist preacher of the, well, I guess we got to say two centuries ago, the late 1800s, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He basically died from gout. Now, if you know anything about gout, it's not a terminal disease. It cannot kill you. But it so affected his mind and his outlook on life that it hastened his death. He died a young man. Let me tell you something. Health, loss of health is a something that will take you down quicker than just about anything. How many of you remember what the devil did to Job? Boils. From the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. How many of you have ever had one real boil? I'm not talking about a pimple when you're a teenager, all right? But I will tell you, one real boil could put you in a hospital very easily. Let alone being covered with them. And yet, Job refused to judge God. Amen. He did what was right. And guess what? The devil was really wearing a uh, muddy face at this point, we might say. Uh, he was had been shamed. God said, what do you think of my servant Job? And the devil said, well, he serves you because you made him rich. The devil took everything away. Job still served God. He said, well, health for health, skin for skin. Nobody will serve you if you take away his health. And the Lord said, take away his health. Job still served God. But you know what? The devil never quits working. Now, does he? How many of you have heard the phrase, with friends like these, who needs enemies? How many of you knew that come from, that statement actually has its roots in the book of Job? Because Job had three incredible friends. 
Do you know who got a hold of Job's friends? The devil did. He deceived them and manipulated their thinking. If you want to look in chapter 4 with me, look at verse 12. This is Eliaphaz, the Temanite. He was the leader of the three. And unlike David's mighty men, not the most honorable. But uh, verse 12, Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof. In thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my faith, and the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal men be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, in his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency, which is in them, go away? They die even without wisdom. Now, let me tell you something. If you ever meet somebody that says, God gave me a secret that you don't have. Wrong God. Write it down. The God of this book called the Bible does not give you secrets It's written down. He wants us to serve him. He has given every believer everything we need to serve God. All you got to do is read it. Amen. Now, I know there's a whole branch of religion that is looking for secrets and wisdom and hidden visions. But let me tell you. Just as in the book of Job. Everything that demon said to Job was, uh, Job's friend, Eliphaz, was true now, wasn't it? Yeah. He said it right, but he meant it wrong. The devil always uses the truth to lie. That's why it's so hard to discern the difference. That's why God does not trust in your hearing or in your ability to make contact with the spirit world. That's why God wrote it down in a book so that it can be objective and not subjective. God's word is not subject to you and your interpretation. It is objective. It is his word. Now, everybody tries to interpret it. But let me, once again, just simply say, if you'll read it for what it says, there's only one interpretation. You must keep the Scripture in the context of Scripture. 
Who is in control? Well, the devil got to Job's three friends and got them thinking, well, God is righteous. Yes, we know that. Uh, Does God charge his angels with folly? Oh, you better believe it. This was a demon that had already been charged with folly. Maybe the devil himself. We don't know, but... God certainly does charge his angels with folly. And shall a mortal man be more just than God? Well, we know that's not possible, amen? Only God is just. But here's the lie. You and I as mortal men cannot always explain why God does what he does. Sometimes it's best not to know why. Amen? Sometimes it's best just to trust the character of God. There are many questions that we cannot answer. But when we look at this story here, The devil has control of all of Job's possessions. The devil has control of his wealth. The devil has now manipulated the thinking of his friends so that when they come and they try to comfort Job, they're going to be trying to straighten him out. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to just let God work in a person's life. Amen? Now, we go through the next 30-some chapters, actually 28 chapters, and we have all of the discussions that happen between Job and his three friends. And let's just stop in uh, Job chapter 32. And the first thing I want to say here is, In the book of Job, the devil gets rebuked in the book of Job. God says, look at my servant Job. Devil offers this excuse, gets slapped down, if we want to use that terminology. Offers another one, gets slapped down again. The devil never quits working. Job is going to be rebuked in the book of Job. Now, wait a minute. Job was the one that had gone through all this suffering. Job was the one that lost everything, was he not? And yet, God is going to spend several chapters addressing Job's problems. Doesn't that sound just a little off to you? Uh, Wait a minute. Let's go back. Who's in control? You know where I was going. That's why nobody did that. But the simple truth of the matter is, God must deal with sin. Whether it's in the life of his children or in the life of those who are not saved. God must deal with sin. Amen? And so Job is going to be rebuked. Let's go to chapter 32 and 
And God is going to use a man named Elihu, a young man who apparently was there and endured all of this conversation back and forth between these four older than he was gentlemen. In verse 1 of chapter 32, it says, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now that's a scary statement, isn't it? Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and had yet condemned Job. So we have this man Elihu... He was angry at Job because Job had justified himself rather than justifying God. Elihu was right. He was angry at his three friends because they had condemned Job and yet had no answer, no reason for condemning Job. And I want you to understand something through this whole book except for the fact that Job justified himself rather than God, there was no condemnation of Job in all of the book of Job. Amen? Amen? Are we there? Do we need to go back and start over again? Now, Job hadn't done anything wrong. And yet God allowed these suffering and this loss into his life for God's reasons and God's reasons alone. Job worshipped God. He did everything right until his three friends came along and tried to explain everything. He said, God judges the wicked. Now, isn't that true? Was God judging Job? No. He was allowing these things to come into Job's life for a purpose that was known to God. We can look a little bit into that purpose and we can see that God was using Job's testimony to confound the devil. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to be used of God to destroy uh, or to slap down or to rebuke the devil? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If you could sign up for such a thing, how many of you would? Well, I read the book of Job. I'm not quite sure. That's why God has to do the picking and the choosing, not you. Amen? But they had condemned Job. God had not condemned Job. They had examined him. They started making up things about Job, and they accused him of every vile thing that a person could do. Yet Job was innocent. But see, they had been influenced by false doctrine. And if a man is judged, then a man must be sinful. And God charges everybody with sin, so therefore Job must be sinful. Now, Job, where's your sin? Well, it's not always because of sin God allows suffering into one's life. The book of Job bears that out. 
But let's go to Job chapter 40. Well, actually, let's look at 38. I'm sorry. Stop at 38. This is where God begins himself to rebuke Job. Then said, then the Lord answered, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thine loins like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer thou mean. Where was thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare it if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof that thou knowest, or who hath stretched out the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Who, who laid the cornerstone thereof? And he goes on. God was saying, Job, how much do you really think you know? Can you tell me who built the earth and how I put it together and what the foundations of the earth are attached to? Job, were you there? I don't remember you being there. So be careful when you begin to speak for God. Amen? Over to chapter 40. Moreover, verse 1, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Down verse 8, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? How many times have we done what's in verse 8 without thinking about it. That's the scary part of the book of Job, let me tell you. You see, if God is righteous, what does that make us? Unrighteous. Now, there are those that teach every bad thing that comes into your life comes because of sin. The book of Job says, no, that's not true. God allowed these things to happen to the book of Job. We talked about so that the devil could be rebuked. We'll find out in a minute that God also wanted to use Job as an example for you and I to encourage us through our difficult times in life. So, the Lord rebukes Job for justifying himself. He rebukes Job for condemning God that he might be righteous. And let's go to, to chapter 42. And we find a resolution here in this issue. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that thinketh, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. 
Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, Job was a man that suffered a lot. The Bible says God's own testimony without cause. It was not because Job had done something wrong that this suffering had come into his life. Job, in his humanity, was trying to understand and he was trying to argue with his three friends who were trying to comfort him And here's one of the main points that I want you to get today. Is the argument in your life about you or about God? You see, that's what turned Job out of the way. Was he allowed the argument to become about him? You're suffering, therefore God must be judging you, therefore you must have done something wrong. Job said, no! Prove it! And all of a sudden, the argument changed and it became about Job. Now, we live in the me society, do we not? It's all about you. From your daytimer, to your iPad, to your cable to your Burger King thing, if you can handle that stuff. Um, Everything has got to be your way. It's all about you. In fact, our government is trying to take care of you and make sure that you don't drink big sodas because they'll kill you. How about they fix the roads? Um, Sorry, it just came out. Forgive me. But everybody is trying to take care of you their way. And Job allowed the conversation to turn. And Job was rebuked because he allowed the conversation to turn about him and kept it from being about God. Now, one more set of people get rebuked here. Job's three friends get it and they get it good. But it's interesting that God takes three verses with Job's three friends. And we have chapters 32 through the beginning of chapter 42. Ten whole chapters to deal with Job. You see, that's not fair. Oh, wait a minute. This book is not about Job. It's about God. Amen. So we start in verse 7. And so it was that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job had. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job And offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. 
So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And it goes on. Job's three friends had to admit their wrong. The act of humility that God required was sacrifice, acknowledging your sin. But Job had to act as priest. The man that they had just spent chapters 4 through 31 condemning and trying to argue with. And all of a sudden now Job was to be their priest and to help them offer their sacrifices so that God would accept them. And if they chose not to do it God's way, God says, I will deal with you according to my wrath. You know what they did? Exactly what God said. Now, that in 20 minutes is a brief overview of the 42 chapters of the book of Job. We've tried to bring out the points that are going to help us here as we look through the application of this and try to gain some things that will help you and I live for the Lord and to be the servants of God in a day when it sure looks like the devil is in control of everything. Now, doesn't it? But first of all, I want you to know that outside the book of Job, his name is mentioned three times in your Bible. Twice in the book of Ezekiel, once in the book of James. Now, Ezekiel, I'm just going to read you the verse. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Now, God was pronouncing judgment against the wicked people of Israel, Jerusalem, through the prophecy of Ezekiel. And and God told Ezekiel to tell them, if the three most righteous men I know were living in the city, their prayers wouldn't do you a bit of good. Noah, Daniel, and Job. What a list. Uh, I want to challenge you today that in spite of God spending all that time dealing with Job about his problem, God kept Job on this list. Amen? Job was esteemed highly by God in the Scripture. And in the book of James, verse five, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Behold, we count them happy which endure... Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The Lord will allow things into your life that are very, well, I guess a good word would be horrible. 
painful, suffering loss. But it says that the Lord is very pitiful and He's of a tender mercy. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. And aside from the main points of the sermon, which we shall now enter into, I want you to understand that this is one of the things that I mean when the Bible is its own best commentary. If you want the Bible to explain something to you, if you want to understand something in the Bible, let the Bible explain it. 1 Peter 1.7, it says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you that the entire book of Job is a very clear commentary on this verse right here. That sometimes God will try your faith. Your faith is much more precious than gold. Though it may be tried with fire. If you'll let God do his work. It will be God that gets the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we think we are really going through it. Sometimes we think we're really facing some incredible difficulty and there's just something within the heart of every human being that says what I am going through is more difficult than anything anybody else has ever experienced. Now, you might not say that out loud, but I'll tell you, you think it in your heart. It happens. That's what the book of Job is in there for. There's absolutely no way your story compares to Job's. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, I look what Job went through. I praise the Lord. My story is no. I mean, it doesn't even deserve to be recorded compared to Job's story. But the God that was tender, very pitiful, of tender mercy with Job will still Exude that pity and tender mercy toward me. That's the example. It says we count them happy which endure. You know the hardest part about being a Christian? Is just living today. You see, it's easy to do great things. It's easy many times to show up on Sunday morning with my Bible in hand. It's not so easy during the week now, is it? And yet that's where the Lord wants us to live. 
You see, God is in control. And we, needed to be re- we need to be reminded that he is under no obligation to explain himself to you. The fact that he is God ought to be good enough. And if it isn't, uh, then we got to go back to the first phrase in 1 Peter 1, 7. It's not your faith. It's not the biblical faith if your faith is not in God. Amen. You've got to have that first. But God being in control will not exempt you and I from sin. Job said a lot of wrong things in the book of Job, didn't he? Did God ordain Job to say those wrong things? No. Job had to make a choice. He was faced with the arguments of his three friends. God is righteous. Job says, yes. Man is wicked. Job said, yes. Therefore, God judges only the wicked. And Job says, no. Because Job was right. God wasn't judging Job for his wickedness. God had another thing going on there. Some of which you and I will never understand. The smallest part of it he lets us see here. That he's an example for you and I. Praise God, you don't need to go through what Job went through to see God's tender mercy and his pity. Amen? And that if you want the blessedness that this book talks about, you just hold on to God and forget about the arguments of the world. Don't let them turn the conversation back to you. It's not about you. It's about God. Amen? Job thought he was being punished. He wasn't. We must trust in the character of God. By the way, there's only so much that can be said about God by man. I was thinking about this point and looking around my office. I have books all over the place. And my library is very small compared to others. And Peter's library is very small compared to others. And of writing books, there is no end. People try to say things and talk about things and write books. Somebody's always writing a new book. I don't know if you've heard about this neurosurgeon that almost died and said he went down a tunnel and saw God and now he believes there's a God, though he's been an atheist all his life. Uh, I want to challenge you. That's Job chapter 4. That's the devil. Because... God's not going to reprove something he's already written and proved in his word. And that man is now confident that he's going to go to heaven without salvation. Who does that kind of work? 
devil does. You see, when the conversation turns, you're headed for trouble. The theme of the book of Job is simply this. Let God be God. And I want to add this to it. And me, his servant. That's the theme of the book of Job. And you know, when you have to put up with what you have to put up with, to live in this wonderful city which we live. I love New York. I live here by choice. But sometimes it gets a little frustrating. Anybody else ever experienced that? Well, wait a minute. Let God be God. And me, his servant. When you're sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor's telling you things you don't want to hear. Could we let God be God and me, his servant? When you get your financial statements and try to rectify them, could we let God be God and me, his servant? When someone tries to attack you personally and hurt you and say false things about you, Could we let God be God and me, his servant? You see, there's not an issue that you're going to face that the book of Job isn't going to help you with. First of all, you must be saved. You must have faith in the God of this book called the Bible. That happens when you call upon his name, whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord. Amen? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And whosoever believeth on him should not perish and have everlasting life. But I'll tell you, God didn't give you faith just to get you a ticket to heaven. He gave you faith to be lived to bring glory to his name. And the only way that's going to happen is if you will let God be God and me, talking about you, and me, his servant, and all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to pry back the bars of our heart and our soul that we may see and understand when we've turned the conversation away from you and your holiness and your goodness and made it about us. Lord, that as Job said, I repent, that we would repent of that. And that we would just let God be God and me his servant. Lord, 
I pray for those that might be with us today that have not yet trusted you as their Savior. They're not in confidence when eternity is mentioned. They do not know what's going to happen to them, not based upon feelings or some church ritual, but based upon the words of God as recorded in his book. Lord, we ask that today would be a step closer. And Lord, that some would be willing to simply trust you as the little children that you want us to be so that you may save us. Lord, we ask that you would work during this time of invitation and be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.